Blog Talk Radio. that doesn't plan for the future may not have one. Five years ago, Eastern saw the future in a remarkable aircraft. Now it's here. The new Boeing 757, the most advanced, most fuel-efficient commercial jet ever built. It's going to help Eastern hold down the cost of flying for years to come. We earn our wings for you. Traveling down memory lane 
But without all of those that I loved and lost Life is not the same For all the good times I can recall To all I've loved God bless you all The happiest moment that I'll ever know Were once upon a long time ago Yes, once upon a long time ago And our neighborhood street, of course, is Eastern Airlines And as the lyrics suggest, if we could only go back one more time But uh, we do that by going back to Eastern in our minds And for a lot of us, life is not the same after leaving Eastern Um, Welcome folks, and uh, we're doing our thing here, a little bit of Eastern Airlines And we uh, do have... uh, Our breaking news was from Cape Canaveral, and it's today. It happened today. A NASA's experimental helicopter ingenuity rose into the thin air, very thin air, above the dusty red surface of Mars on uh, today, early today, Monday, achieving the first powered flight by an aircraft on another planet. Did you guys ever think that this would uh, this would ever happen? I've got a couple of folks online now. I've got Al Jenkins and Jim Holder. And uh, well, did you ever think we'd we'd be flying an airplane off another planet, guys? Well, no. <laughs> it's way beyond anything I anticipated in our lifetime. But there's there's a lot more. Just keeps coming from world, you know, the, the space thing, you know. Yep. Just, yep. Um, well, I remember this, and you can too, and I'm sure Al can too. You know when Sputnik went up. Yeah, yeah. Went going around the Earth, and oh man, how terrible that was. Well, listen to more of this news. The triumph was hailed as a Wright brothers moment. That's what they're calling it. It's the mm-hmm. mini four pound. The little thing weighs four pounds, and it even carried a bit mm-hmm. of wing fabric from the 1903 mm-hmm. Wright flyer, which made. Similar history at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And the Mm. altimeter data confirms that the uh, little helicopter Ingenuity has performed its first flight and the first flight of a powered aircraft on another planet. That's amazing. Mm. It was a brief hop. Hop, It was only just 39 seconds, but it accomplished all of the major milestones that uh, they set out to, to do with it. Uh, they've got about four more missions, I guess, with it. The, the manager was very jubilant, and he said, we've been talking so long about our Wright Brothers moment, and here it is. It happened today. It's a whole new way of, to explore the alien terrain of our solar system, and it's now at our disposal. The helicopter achieved its uh, plan. Nah? Did it have any video come back? Of it or yeah, from it? yeah. I've, it's it's funny. I don't know, Al. Have you have you watched uh, the video on on uh, 
on this uh, flight? Uh, yeah, they had that, uh, I guess it was the pod that was sitting on the yeah. ground there was showing it. Well, you know, it, it's, it's sat there, and, and uh, Jim, it you could see the rotors going on the helicopter, and then – and then it started, I think, started to lift off, and all of a sudden it disappeared. It disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then they threw another picture, and it looked like it was uh, the, the Perseverance was taking a picture of it in the air. And then that's all, of, mm-hmm. all that it had on it. So it really didn't show mm-hmm. much about it. it planned, mm-hmm. they, they planned to take it up to an altitude of 10 feet. And... Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, anyhow, it's the, the rotors on this thing has to spin up to 2,500 revolutions per minute, five times faster than on Earth. And uh, as we know, it's just one percent of the atmosphere of, of Earth that is on Mars. So mm-hmm. anyhow, quite a quite. Oh, here's another thing that that happened. They actually named the place where it took off and where it's to travel. Uh, I think the distance of about a football field. They're calling it Wright Brothers Field. That's the name of the airport oh, on Mars. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, I'd say they put a little bit of thought into this, don't, don't you they think? They did, didn't they? Part of the old fabric wing. Yeah. And it, mm. what, the last thing I'll, I'll talk about it was, while wow, these two iconic moments in aviation history may be separated by time and 173 million miles of space, they now will forever be linked. Now, what they're talking about is the Wright brothers' first flight and uh, Ingenuity's first flight. I think they call Ingenuity Jenny, something like that, and Percy mm-hmm. is a perseverance, but... That was quite an accomplishment. I I never did dream that we would um, do anything like this. Of course, a lot of things have happened in my time here on Earth, as well as you guys. Uh, uh, you know, I used to marvel at Dick Tracy, uh, the cartoon strip. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? And you remember what? Oh yeah. What was on his arm? <laughs> a watch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a TV watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he could talk and see who he was talking to. I thought, boy, mm-hmm. this guy is really a dreamer that was writing these cartoon strips, <laughs> Dick Tracy. But uh, I never thought that anything like that would happen. And golly, Pete, things once upon a long time ago, that's where we 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 were. But uh, anyhow, that's the good news. And uh, now we've got some sad news too that we'd like to. Uh, Uh, tell you about and it's about uh, our eastern family Um, I'm going to do the first one here Uh, we had uh, uh, Brenda Chabot uh, one of our hosts on the Thursday night show sent this to me it was an email and it was from uh, Barbara it was about uh, a silver liner silver liners of course we know our eastern flight attendants and they've opened it up now to flight attendants, uh, international flight attendants. Any airline can join it. But anyhow, it's uh, it's an obituary, and it reads, It is with a heavy heart that I relay the very sad news that Barbara Foster Frasala, 
Frascella, I'm sorry, passed away this morning. She was dealing with some recent health issues and dementia. She was a longtime Silverliner and a member of both the Tampa chapter and the FGC. I'm not sure where FGC chapter is. And although she moved to the MCO area, well, I know that's McCoy, that's Orlando. A few years ago, the Florida Gulf Coast chapter will hold her in their hearts, remembering how she always made them laugh. The Mother Radio Show. May may she rest in peace. And this was uh, sent to us by Barbara Bucata via Brenda uh, Chabot. And thanks a lot. Now, uh, Jim, you have uh, some of the pilots that have passed away recently from Eastern. Would you tell us about them? Yeah, uh, two of them. They passed away back in 20... Uh, well, actually, uh, no, just one, I guess. Uh, Aubrey, Captain Aubrey Allen Sear, C-Y-R, he died September the 22nd of 2016. And we just learned about it a couple of weeks ago. He was 90 years old, and he served in the Marine Corps. He's a pilot Marine Corps during World War II, flew in the Pacific. And he had a real good career. He ended up uh, mainly in Boston, and he ended up being the chief pilot at the Boston, eastern chief pilot at the Boston Airlines. Also, uh, another one that retired, Eastern Captain Lee Hornick. Uh, he used to come to all of our REPA conventions and everything, and real nice guy. I never got to fly with him, but he was a real principal guy. And he died April the 10th at his home. He was 91 years old, and he was uh, Army Air Force uh, during World War II. I don't know if he flew bombers or fighters, but uh, those two guys. And here just recently, uh, and you know this guy, you know, Phil Philip Sybil, retired Eastern, and he went to Trump after Eastern, and he died uh, April the 13th. Uh, I had the 15th, but I found out from his son. His son is in our hunt club. He's a Delta captain, Keith Sybil, and Phil was 85 years old. And really a bad story, a horrible story. We had former Eastern and American First Officer uh, Roger H. Orleville, O-U-E-L-L-E-T-T-E-T, Olivette. Uh, he was uh, hit by a car Friday night. He was in uh, North Carolina on the shores, uh, crossing, he and his wife were crossing the street and by a car. There was no charges, apparently. They just didn't see the car. It was right at dusk. But he was there for the wedding of the, his son. And I'm sure that really, they probably canceled the wedding. But kept, but uh, Roger H., I'll say it again, O-U-E-L-L-E-T-T-E, Olivet. But he basically flew out of New York. I didn't know him. But he was at Easton about 10 years. And... uh Sad stories on that last one, for sure. Yeah, you know, Jim, uh, we talked about it, but uh, Jim, uh, Phil Sybil uh, was uh, in my class. He and I were hired on the same date, and um, I think mm-hmm. there were about 22 or 23 in our class, total class. Many of them have passed away, and and um, Phil was a nice guy. As a matter of fact, when we checked out on the Convair 440, 
uh, he had a different instructor checking him out, and, and Andy Smith, who was uh, the baby, we call him the baby of the class, uh, he and I were paired together, and we went to New Orleans to take our uh, first officer check and training. And uh, Phil, I forgot where they sent him, I think to Charlotte, to take his training. But at any rate, uh, we wound up going to Washington, and and uh, we all, uh, there were four of us that rented an apartment in uh, in uh, Arlington, and uh, you could almost see the uh, Memorial World War II, uh, Iwo Jima Memorial from, from where we lived. And Phil and I and Dan Gonzalez and Andy Smith and and um, I forgot the other one, Vince Janes. Yeah, there were four of us. All had a three-bedroom, but as it turned out, uh, there's only about one or two of us. You know how that commuting goes. You're all mm-hmm. got three bedrooms and about four guys. Well, there's always a bed available. And um, mm-hmm. so for the first three months, uh, Phil was uh, with us there, and, and we'd have dinner out and all that. Really a nice guy. And, of course, I knew Phil Sybil before Eastern because I did some flight instructing down at uh, Tamiami Airport uh, with Mary Gaffney's Kendall Flying School, and he came down to get his instrument rating. and. I worked with him, and he got his commercial and instrument rating, and uh, he was with United Airlines prior to that. Matter of fact, he was there working with uh, Jim Duncan. You remember Jim Duncan, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. is Jim, well, Jim doing all right? He, a, he, uh, he's had some health problems, uh, but I hear from him every now and then, and yeah. He lives with his wife over there in Spartanburg area. But yeah. talk about Phil Sybil. Uh, he, uh, I met him in October of uh, ninety of uh, sixty four when we all reported to Miami to check out his flight engineers uh, on the Electra, and that's where I met Phil. And uh, I, you know, I didn't socialize all that much with him because we were like a class of thirty, and we were just all. Getting our ATR, I mean, getting our flight engineers written, I mean, flight engineers tips it, uh, license on the Electra. And, and we all got through okay. You mentioned Andy Smith. Uh, Andy Smith was the check captain in Boston when I first went up there uh, to be a new captain. And uh, my first flight in the left seat, Andy was in the right seat giving me IOE, you know. And uh, it was night takeoff, and I remember that. And, you know, of course, I've been a co-pilot on the airplane for a long time, but I was flying out of the lift seat <laughs> a little bit different. And I remember on the takeoff, somehow I got my feet mixed up or something, and I touched the right brake real easy, and the plane went yeah, like that, you know. And we are on the takeoff roll, and I, you know, got it back off, but it definitely, something happened. And so we lifted off and climbed it out, and he said, did you put the brakes on when we were taking off? Yeah, I did, but I certainly didn't mean to, you know. And, and he, but he, he caught it. I mean, uh, I, it was very small, just a little bit of something, you know. So when you're taking off in an airplane at night with a whole load of people, you're really alert to most anything that happens, you know. You know, he passed away some years later. Have I lost y'all? No, I talked uh, many times to his widow, 
uh, and uh, we, we talked about Andy, and Andy and I were real good friends. We we uh, mm-hmm. used to go golfing together when we were based in Washington, and mm-hmm. and stayed in touch with each other for a long time. But uh, really mm-hmm. a nice, super nice guy, and I, he died in his fifties uh, with cancer. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, I and, got uh, a, I got a, a little, little bit of a story about him. You know, we flew together. You know, I we something like twenty hours, twenty five hours. You have a check captain riding we in the right seat. Yeah. And and uh, they were trying to get a trip in here and a trip in there, and it was just taking forever to get that twenty five hours. And I may have told you this story before, but he ended up had a bid trip that went somewhere, and then he ended up in San Juan for the second night, and San Juan to to Kennedy to Boston. And uh, I was based out of Boston as a new captain. And we took off, and New York was having a big blizzard. And so dispatch said, we want you to refuel at Bermuda. And I'm going to oh. have Bermuda many times as a co-pilot. Yeah. And I said, we're going from San Juan to New York, and we're going to refuel in Bermuda. In Bermuda. <laughs> <laughs> but I looked at the map, and I said, I, it, it wasn't as really, I said, it sounded weird, you know, but it yeah. wasn't that far out of the way. But we had to do it because we we going to hold, and we did. We held for about an hour and a half up there, it seemed like, before we finally got in. And uh, but because of that, I became internationally qualified. Oh. Later on in Chicago, in Chicago, when a, as a reserve captain, whenever we got a Mexico City trip, most of the guys weren't qualified. But because I went to Bermuda with the FAAs, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. I was authorized and cleared to go to Mexico City. You know, with a ten thousand elevation. And a yeah. lot of problems down there. Of course, I've been down there many times as a co-pilot, anyhow. So uh, it wasn't a deal. But when it when it came open in Chicago, they put me on the trip. And all these other guys, senior to me, you know, they kicking at the ground. You know, they weren't for me to qualify. I mean, they weren't international qualified. Yeah. Well, regulations are silly sometimes. I've got one more sad story, uh, and then we'll move on to uh, a little bit of humor to uh, lift uh, the sadness. But uh, Brenda Chabot also sent me the fact that Deanna, and she's talking about, uh, I'm not sure about her crane, I think it was, Deanna Crane, and she was a former Eastern flight attendant and was a much-loved member of the Silverliners. She was a member of the Palm Beach chapter, and she uh, was full of life, love, and positivity. She was always making everyone laugh and had a very kind heart. She was so proud of her aviation family because her husband, John Crane, was also an Eastern pilot, and they had two daughters, Kate and Courtney. One is a flight attendant, and the other is a 747 pilot. And um, mm. anyhow, uh, we've talked about a lot of sadness here initially, so I'm going to put on something that might uh, cheer us up a little bit. And uh, perhaps you've listened to this man uh, tell stories, but there's never been one before or after when uh, you hear this uh, fellow talk about um uh, his stories uh, and mostly experiences in Mississippi, <laughs> where Jim mm-hmm. Holder is from. So 
at any rate, you've mm-hmm. probably heard this one, Jim, but all of his stories are worth hearing again. Let's listen Every to Mr. Jerry Clower because he used to keep me awake at night, and I'll tell you a little bit about that later on. When I was growing up, word got out that the best coon hunter in the world was a fellow that lived at East Macomb, Mississippi. And we done sent him word by the mail rider. There ain't no coon dog in the world good as highball. Don't you ever say or tell nobody that there is. We don't believe it none. Well, we got us up a little contest. They said, yeah, this fella will catch more coons on a night's hunt than y'all will. Well, he come driving up in his pickup truck to East Fork School. That's where we met. Fellow let the end gate down on one of them pickups, and that was a cage, and sitting up in the back of that pickup was a big brown monkey. <laughs> Marcel said, Whoa, look, don't let that thing out. Said he looks, oh, said keep him in there. Said he looks too much like folks to be getting out of that. You leave him up in that pickup truck. Fellow said, y'all don't understand. I use a dog with the monkey. I just want one good tree dog, and I'll show you how to catch more raccoons. The hides are expensive, and I make a good living with that monkey. Coon hunting. Marcel's and I ain't taking my dog with that trashy thing. <laughs> Clovis said, I'll take old June and we'll go. So all of us followed, and old June hadn't gone very far, and she treed. Now, any coon hunter will know that sometimes a raccoon will get up in a tree and he'll tap the tree, go out on a limb and jump into another tree, go out on a limb and jump into another one, and come down way out, you Well, that's the art of being a good coon dog. You circle around, make for sure he ain't tapped the tree, and he's up there <laughs> if you say he's there. Well, old June Tree, to turn that monkey loose, had him on a chain, and people, he had a flashlight in his left hand and a pistol in his right hand. And up that tree he went, boogity, 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 right up that tree, went all over the tree, shining that light, and had that gun. Looking everywhere. Out on each limb, shining, shining, shining. And what he did, he find the coon and shoot him, and the coon falls out. Well, he hadn't found no coon. Down the tree he come. Thumb cocked that pistol, put it up to old June's head, Clovis his dog, and said, Bloom! Just killed him. Graveyard dead, right there. Clovis said, Man, what in the world do you mean? That trashy thing has killed my dog. And the fellow what owned the monkey said, Clovis, there ain't but one thing that monkey hates worse than a raccoon, and that's a lying coon dog. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Mr. Clower entertained me, and and uh, I used to fly the Moonlight Special on the A300 from Atlanta to Houston, and then on back uh, over to either Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, or or Seattle on those Moonlight Special freight deals we had with Consolidated Freight Line, and. Um, I think our our one-way fare was $49 to any of those cities, Uh, $49 per leg, I should say, because usually there were two legs. And and taking off at 10 o'clock at night and headed toward Houston, it was kind of boring. And and I think on one such trip I discovered trying to tune in to see some music or listen to something to keep me awake, uh, I, I... 
came upon Jerry Clower out there in Macomb, Mississippi. And uh, it was a strong, Jim was telling me that it was a very strong, clear channel. Well, it, it really was. Mm. Because we mm. used to listen to it past Houston going out further west. And, and Jerry Clower was there to entertain us because he kept us in stitches with all of his stories. And um, I, don't, I, I don't know whether he was actually in the studio Reco- uh, uh, delivering those broadcasts I don't think he was I think they were just using clips Just like we just did But uh, he was quite an entertainer He really was Yeah. Yes he was uh, Do you have the uh, John The John story John going up and getting the coon the, the- Yeah yeah I got that one But I think you'll like the, the, the next one That I told which is my favorite Of all the uh, I tell it differently when I'm at a party and I try to mm-hmm. copycat John, uh, Jerry Clower, which I can't do. Uh, I'm about his mm-hmm. size, <laughs> and he he's a very <laughs> rounded person. And uh, have you ever listened to him, Al Jenkins? Have you ever listened to Jerry Clower? No. Okay, we just got a no from you. Well, how'd you like that first story that you just heard? <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had my book well, what, what, when you told me. You going to tell a story or you going to play a story? I'm going to play one in just a minute because it's called The New Bull, and I'm sure you heard this one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it is yeah. hilarious. I've got three of them to play. Mm-hmm. There are so many of them that he put out. But let's get right back. Let's go to his New Bull story, and uh, I think this is funny. I tell it at, uh, like I say, get-togethers every once in a while. when We have a group of people that can take uh, humor like Jerry, and I try to do, do a Jerry Clower imitation but here's his story about the new bull this farmer was sitting out in the backyard discussing with his manager about they had to buy a new bull and it was just imperative that they had to bring some more bloodlines onto the farm there was three bulls already on the place and they were out in the lot and they could hear this guy talking And the first bull said, look at here, I've been here three years. There ain't but 50 cows here. 30 of them cows belong to me. <laughs> and I don't care what kind of Mr. Big Shot bull he brings him. I ain't about to be nice to him. Second bull said, I ain't been here but a year and a half. But I agree with you, I ain't about to put up with it. We'll make life miserable for him. And I'll guarantee you, I ain't about to share nothing with him. Third bull said, I ain't been here but six months. And I don't have but about five cows that even like me. (laughs) But I'll tell you right now, I ain't giving up them five. Mr. Bull's going to be in a bad state of affairs. Next day, here come one of them big, long trucks. Wow, great big diesels out on each side of it. Oh, smoke belching from it. Drove up in the yard, let down the end gate. Brakes cut off, that eye come off of them. Whoo, there's about a biggest, 
raunchiest looking old Bramer bull ever been walked off of that thing, weighed way over a ton, crushed snorting. Didn't have to look through the fence to see the cows grazing down in the pasture. He's flat-footed, just looked over the fence out. Great big hump on his back. And man, he just went strutting around the lot, you know. Man, he was something. First bull said, you know, I've been doing a little thinking. It's real ugly. Me to have the attitude I've been having. And I just think I'll share it with him. And the second bull said, you know, I've changed my mind, too. I, I really... I want to do the right thing about it. And the third bull busted out of the stall, run out in the lot and commenced to paw in the ground. And just bristles up on his back and him trotting around out there. Paw in the dirt. Beller. The bull said, hey, man, what in the world are you doing? You crazy? That thing will kill you. He said, look, I just want to make for sure that he knows that I'm a bull. <laughs> now I tell it a little uh, differently, but uh, that uh, he is something else. Uh, <clears throat> so, what's the one that you you favor, uh, Jim? Well, I wish I could tell it, but uh, it's it's uh, it's coon hunting. And uh, oh they, yeah, they go out Some, the woods. Yeah, you, are you gonna play it? You want me to try to tell it? No, no, no. <laughs> try, try to tell it because I tell it too. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he and a bunch of his friends were gonna go coon hunting, and they said, "Well, you know, we got this guy here, John." And John was a guy didn't have his shoes, no shorts, an old man, but he claimed he was the best coon guy you'd ever seen. And all they had to do was hold it to a tree, and he could climb it. He didn't have to have a limb the first 30 feet because he just stick his toenails into the bark, and he could go up the side of that tree. And so they go out there this night, and the goon dogs are chasing, and all of a sudden they tree this look up there, and they're way up there, way up there. They see those eyes looking down at him and said, John, John, go up there. And uh, get that thing and get a stick, and you knock that thing out of here. And when it hits the ground, you know, the dogs will jump on it, and we'll have us a coon. So John said, okay. So he goes over there, and he starts going up the tree. Made his fingernails and his toenails in the bark, and he went up about 20 <laughs> feet. And he finally got to a limb, and he went on up further up there, and he got a little bit higher. And they're down there at the bottom. Hey, John, where's the John? I'm almost up here. He said, Johnny said, he said, woo-wee, it's a big one. He had a stick, and he's supposed to poke the coon with that stick. And he said, woo-wee, you know. And he poked it. He said, this ain't a coon. This is a bobcat. This is a bobcat. You know, it's a souped-up <laughs> lynx, they call them. And this is bobcats up here. This thing's attacking me. <laughs> you know, of course, they had the gun. They were going to shoot the pig. And he said, oh, woo-wee, oh, this thing's killing me. This thing's killing me. And they said, well, knock him out, John. Knock him out. I can't. This thing's killing me. And he said, it ain't no coon. It's a bobcat. It's like a souped-up lynx. Well, they said, shoot him, shoot him. So 
He got the gun out. He said, you shoot on up here. Well, I might hit you, John. He said, it's no matter. One of us has got to have some relief. <laughs> That's about <laughs> as good as Jerry would do it. <laughs> one of us has got to have some relief. He said, that podcast was tearing him a new one. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. Yeah. Knock him uh, out, John. You know, Jerry, I, I, I was listening to some of them. There's so many of them, and uh, and I tried to do a Jerry Cloward Cloward uh, Clower uh, imitation, and uh, that's one of the ones I like to do. But you do you do it better than I did, and um, oh, the bull bull I changed it around a little bit, and I had that big old truck <laughs> wobbling down, and it, the, the driver mm-hmm. of that truck had a hard time keeping it on the road because that bull was as big as the inside of that 18-wheeler. And <laughs> But at any rate, uh, all of his stories are so funny. But he does have one that's a half hour long, and I never did hear it, but it incorporates mm-hmm. a few of the stories that he tells. But he tells a little bit about the biography of, of how he started in radio. And he he wanted to anyhow. It's very motivational. As a matter of fact, he was delivering it to a group in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Grand Ole Opry. And um, it, apparently, there was a, a group of young kids that uh, were with their parents, and they had it booked, the Grand Ole Opry booked, and Jerry. Clower was one of the entertainers that uh, was going to entertain for that convention. And he told a 32-minute story that was just, you need to go, all you have to do is put in your browser, Jerry Clower, C-L-O-W-E-R, and uh, Mm -hmm. see if you can find that Nashville tribute. And it really is good. It tells you about him being a football player. Uh, left tackle on on the Mississippi State University mm-hmm. and right. uh, playing mm-hmm. Alabama. Now that's a story. That's the one that he tells a lot, and it is so funny he, with that story. I'm gonna play play this last one. It's called Chainsaw. It's called a Chainsaw Story. You've heard this one too, mm-hmm. I'm sure, Jim. But here it is. I remembered to ask Marcel, Uncle Bertie's only boy, did he have any repercussions from the problem he had had on a beer joint what was located on the county line just about a week before that? What Marcel had done, Marcel didn't like his school, none. He didn't like them teachers, he didn't like them books. But Uncle Versi made him stay in school till he was old enough to get his driver's license and bought him a second-hand pupwood truck. <laughs> and he quit school and went to hauling pupwood. <laughs> now, Marcel had loaded up his pupwood truck and had took a load out to Macomb and unloaded it out there on the big co- box car what was going to the paper company. And he is driving back in the hot of the evening. It's just before sundown. That son is staring him right in the face, back out to East Fork community where he lived. Well, now, Amit County is dry. The people are dry. And they had never voted in no kind of alcoholic beverage. But if you want to get a cool one, you have to ride over on the county line where they got a joint. 
Marcel was coming along there, and he'd had fine Christian teachings. He knowed better than to buy any of them cool beers. But he knew also that they had them big knee-high belly washers, and they was cold. And he wanted one of them so bad. He eased his old putwood truck over off the paved highway. Now, all he had on between him and the Lord was just a pair of overhauls, that's all. He was barefooted and just his overhauls on, that's all. He did have the bottom button on the side button. The top buttons were The top buttons was flossing. And he got eased off it and he put it down in neutral and he pulled emergency brake up on his truck and he eased up to this tavern and he looked through the screen door and said, Hey! Man behind the counter and asked said, What you want? I said, Would you hand me a cold soda water? You better get away from that door. Go get you a shirt on. Get you on some clothes. We don't want the likes of you in here. I ain't coming in. All I want you to do is hand me a cold soda water through the door, and I'll pay you for it, and pay you for the old bottle, and I'll drink it while I'm driving home. There's four fellas sitting around a table there playing this shit Blu-ray card game. And one of them said, didn't you hear him tell you to get away from that door, you redneck? Poor Marcel, walking on them gravels out there, went back to his truck and reached over in the toolbox and brought out one of them lightweight McCullough chainsaws. <laughs> and he reached down and he took a hold of that starting rope and he walked up to the door of that beer joint and he just stuck the snout of that thing through the screen door and he reamed him out a hole in that screen door and he eased it over to the side and it hung in that, in that, in that screen door that and he held it out up over his head and ribbed it up where all them screen wires and hinges and thing had come loose from it. Whop! And then he stepped inside. <laughs> raced the motor three or four times and slung that thing at a table and just took off two legs and the table said, Whop! They gave Marcel the beer joint. <laughs> Mike, how did you like that yeah. one? Well, I yeah, caught the last part yeah. of it there. I was going to say, this is Ethiopia calling in. <laughs> Ethiopia. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. How was your doctor visit? I had to go get my, uh, you know, my two-year check for my carotid arteries. Okay. I hope they're uncarotid. Uh, well, whatever. they never tell you. You have, to, you have to go back to the doctor again after yeah. you have to yeah. get the results. You know how that works. You know, I know go for how another it works. charge. I'd like to hear Jerry Clark, uh, Clower tell a, <laughs> a doctor joke. But uh, had you ever heard him, Mike? Jerry Clower? Uh, I don't. I don't believe I have. No. Well, <clears throat> treat yourself. Go to the internet and put in Jerry Clower, mm -hmm. and just listen mm -hmm. to his stories. They're usually about two or three minutes long. Yeah. And uh, except the one I was talking about uh, that he did in Nashville, Tennessee, a 30-minute one. But he tells a story about <clears throat> being the left tackle for uh, Mississippi mm -hmm. State and how they played mm -hmm. Alabama that year. And and Alabama mm -hmm. had this big big uh, running back. And it, it was a, it's a funny story. I won't even attempt to, mm -hmm. to try to deliver that one. But uh, 
Yes, Byron was in the military, yeah. and he won several awards. He won a lot of uh, uh, bravery awards and all, and he got the medal of, uh, uh, I forgot the distinguished uh, whatever it was. Um, yeah, he was but, in the uh, Navy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in the Navy, yeah. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, he tells a story about getting his college education because when he was a kid, uh, in, he joined the 4-H club, and, you know, he was – chairman of the 4-H International, I think, at one time. And uh, But uh, when when the sponsor convinced him that he ought to be a 4-H member, he joined, and it made such an impact on his life that uh, he promised that, uh, that sponsor that had convinced him to join that uh, he would um, he would go to college and he would study uh, agriculture and hu- a- uh, animal husbandry and that type of thing. I know, I think it was just uh, ag- agriculture. I forgot what they call that, horticulture or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and he did. He got his degree, and he did that, and then he worked for a big chemical company and did some selling. He was the number one salesperson. But his first, uh, I didn't know this, but his first act as a comedian was right here in Jacksonville, Florida, at the Jacksonville Coliseum. And uh, he was with, um, oh, Charlie Pride, the singer, mm-hmm. the country singer. And uh, he was to be on next, and then they kind of lost the power uh, to uh, perform. I mean, electrical power, and then they had to put it off. But <clears throat> at any rate, Charlie Pride was so pressed by the way he talked and delivered his stories that um, he followed him the rest of his career. They were good friends, but he's an interesting person. I think he died at 71 years old and I don't think he ever lost a pound of his weight. No, but, uh, he was 50. Yeah. Yeah. But y'all listen to it. Do yourself a favor and just uh, type in there, J- Jerry, Jerry Clower. And he'll entertain you like he used to entertain me from Atlanta to the West Coast, almost to the West Coast. Uh, up there at altitude, you could you could get a pretty strong antenna. And if you pulled up a clear channel, which WSB in Atlanta, I believe, is a clear channel station. Yeah, it's always St. Louis, what? Yeah, yeah, Chicago, St. Louis, and of all places, uh, El Paso, Texas was one. El Paso, and, uh, yeah. I- Mm-hmm. And Macomb, Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> and Macomb, now, he yeah. was now. How you pronounce the hometown that Jerry Clower was from? Yazoo City. Yazoo City. That's Y A H Z O O, almost like yeah. Yahoo. <laughs> well, it, it's Yazoo, and if you will go up there and call it something else, you'll get reprimanded on. <laughs> okay. Get the chainsaw treatment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the chainsaw treatment. Yeah, well, you missed you missed two stories. One is called the new bull, uh, Mike, and uh, yeah. the other one is uh, coon hunting. So make sure you listen to yeah. those two. And, and knock him out, it, John, too. Knock him, knock him out, John. Yeah. And, knock uh, him out, football. John. Yeah, football playing against Alabama. Yeah. That's another good one. But, yeah, uh, where that guy, that, that runner is coming at him, and he's going to tackle him, and 
And he yeah, gets yeah. down and haunches himself up and just ready. And this guy from Alabama, he's all-American, all-world. And he's going to show him, <laughs> and he said, and he's proud to say that he only knocked me back with 34 yards. Yeah. <laughs> and one of his teammates came over and says, get up and chase him. He says, no, lay still. He'll be back this way. <laughs> uh, but uh, funny, funny, funny. Well, I'll have to do some more Jerry Clower. You know, I looked up Louis Grizzard and uh, – Louis Grizzard, for you guys, uh, I know, Al, you know Louis Grizzard if you lived in Atlanta long enough, didn't you? I mean, not know him, but used to listen to him? No. Um, you never did, Louis Grizzard? I think he was on WSB. No. Uh, yeah, but he, no. he, he wrote an article in the Atlanta Constitution Journal. Every I think he wrote mm-hmm. one every day. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he collected a lot of those stories and put them in book form. And I looked him up to see if he had ever done any speaking like Jerry Clower. And he has. He has done one. And the one that he's famous for is uh, about how folks uh, mis- uh, mispronounce English words. And especially people that are playing in movies trying to pretend that they're Southerners. <laughs> he goes mm-hmm. on about that. Now, that's a good one. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's His another guy. This one is about the Georgia mascot, the Bulldog, out there on the field, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I, won't I don't tell remember him. that one. I don't remember that one. Oh, you don't? Yeah, no. he's talking about going to see a Georgia game, you know, and uh, – what was the name of that Georgia Bulldog? And they had, they've had about five of them. They don't have Uga, Uga. Uga, right. And uh, Uga was down there on the sideline, and they were watching it in the ball game. And they looked down, and Uga's down there. He's turning around, and he's licking his you-know-what. <laughs> <laughs> right there in front of God, everybody's licking that stuff. <laughs> and, and Lewis Bernard started talking about it, man. I said, that thing, it, and, you know, I wish I could do that. You know, I could, if I could just possibly do that. And that guy says, well, won't you go on down there and do it? And he says, no, you know that dog will bite you. <laughs> if you went down there and lick the bulldog, what the fuck call it? That dog would bite That's you. That's it. Yeah, we're safe. Why do dogs do that? Is this because they can? They can, yeah. 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 I like the way they try to they try to ski on the carpet in your house, you know. Oh yeah, if they get a, if they get a locked tail. up job. Yeah. That's it. They just that's it. Yeah. The old uh we used to first time I saw a dog doing that, I said, What the hell is he doing? Got two bad back legs. <laughs> you know, he had a he had a, one of his books was called Chicago Happiness is Chicago in Your Rearview Mirror. He went up, got a job, went up there, and he lasted. He didn't last very long, and he wanted out of there, you know. And when I when I when I retired on my last trip, Carrie, my son, came up and. We will to drive down to Nashville and come on to Atlanta the next morning. You know, I'm my through with my airline career, and we got about 20 miles south of it, Chicago. And I turned around and I said, "I'm gonna be uh, 
uh, like Louis Grizzard. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and I had all the stuff of Michael and Carrie and the suitcases, and I couldn't see Chicago. So I got out of my car, my truck, <laughs> and looked back up there, and I said, I'm pulling a Louis Grizzard. There's Chicago in my rearview mirror, and I'm sitting rear out here mirror. looking at it. Yeah. But I couldn't do it because I had so much suitcases and everything, and it was a suburban, not a pickup. But uh, well, you know, I'm uh, another another uh, entertainer along the lines of Jerry Cloward was uh, Andy Griffith, and mm-hmm. of course, No Time for Sergeants made him a a, a star. Mm-hmm. But well, yeah. he always uh, mm-hmm. his his I think he was discovered. On its football, he described mm-hmm. the game of That's football. Right. Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, he taught high school in my hometown, Goldsboro, North Carolina. He taught. He, now, of course, I had long since departed. As a matter of fact, I didn't go to high school in Miami. I mean, in uh, Goldsboro, I went in Miami. But but uh, I hear stories told. We had a flight attendant was from Goldsboro too, and uh, we discovered. Uh, I discovered I was flying uh, a trip, and I heard her talk to the other flight attendants about the best barbecue in the world. And uh, I listened carefully, and so finally she touched on the fact that it was didn't have any red sauce on it, and I had to chime in. I said, "Well, there's only one place that." <clears throat> makes their barbecues without ketchup. And then uh, I said, that's vinegar. And that's Goldsboro, North Carolina. She said, are you from Goldsboro? I said, yeah. She said, I am too. And we became instant friends. And when I commuted from Atlanta to Pensacola, she lived in Pensacola too. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And she was always doing the flight. She would She would go down on a flight and do the layover in Pensacola and then go back as a crew member. But when she saw me come on board, she would immediately go to the beef eater gin, and she would empty out a can of ginger ale, and uh, and then she'd pour about two or three bottles or whatever that can would hold, and she'd bring it back to me. <laughs> and and I, I had a delightful time getting off that airplane. I mean, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, she was something else. She died. She died young too. And um, but her name was Parton, Part, Parton, like Bill Parton, but it, I can't think of her first name. Gail, Gail Parton. Did you ever fly with Gail Parton, Jim? I, that name is very familiar. I just can't yeah. get a face to it. I think I must have, yeah. Yeah. Well, she she used to tell me that Andy Griffith, when he would teach class there in Goldsboro High School, he taught drama and English, believe it or not. And mm-hmm. uh, in his drama class, he would always say, well, I'm going to give you a lecture here for uh, whatever time we have today and probably tomorrow. And after that, you're on your own. <laughs> that's, all, that's all he knew to tell. <laughs> you're on your own. Uh, okay, yeah, guys. Son, yeah. Who? So he ended up being a big movie producer. Who? Many movies, Monty Howard. Oh no, his yeah, friend, his son yes. of thing, Ron Howard. Yeah, on a yeah, on major major movie producer, yeah, and director. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're some good. And, and my son-in-law, my my daughter's husband, 
he he doesn't get around. He's semi-invalid. And every afternoon he tunes in the Andy Griffith show. Lord, I, I keep telling him, you must have seen those things a hundred times or more. But he never oh, yeah. gets tired of them. Yeah, it's good mm-hmm. entertainment without without four-letter words and no cigarettes. Yeah. You're right. You're right in alcohol. Yeah, always wine. I, you can't mm-hmm. see a movie or a TV series without them drinking wine. I don't think they even know what water is. <laughs> Makes you happy. Yeah, it's wine. <laughs> La Vie and Rose. Yeah. Well, guys, what you got? What what you got planned for the rest of the day? Oh, wait for happy hour. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. No. What's the I'm, latest? I may have let me one of them Manhattans after a while with that smoky oh. bourbon I like. I got my like There you go. Knob Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Knob's Creek. Smoky Smoky Bourbon. You know, Creek. Make a great Manhattan. I was watching TV the other day, and it was uh, some old one back in 2005 series, and I noticed that uh, the guy had his house stocked pretty good with Maker's Mark. And the reason I knew that is because mm-hmm. of all that red wax that was spilling down off the neck of that uh, that bottle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everyone's different. Every one of them is yeah. different. Everyone what? The tops on the Baker's Mark. Oh, the ones they, that they I got sold. That. Right, they're all red wax. Yeah. You'll never see one. How many people are going to try to look at them and compare them? But some of them probably look alike, but they say that everyone's different. The Same way the wax color. rolls on it. Yeah. I think that the Maker's Mark and the also the Knob Creek has got an interesting uh, uh, top to try to get off. I think it's a test to see if you can do it without cutting your finger off. <laughs> yeah. Knob's Creek is really hard to get off. It is, yeah. Well, how, how does that get a tight pair work? of pliers and pull on that thing? It's how got a tight cork in it. It's tough to get the cork mark. back in. And mm-hmm. and the other one, how, were they priced about the same? Maker's Mark's more expensive than Knobs Creek, I think. Yeah, it is. Okay. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I've I've been on beef eaters for so many years that um, I think my uh, liver would go into shock if I fed it too much. If I, <laughs> every once in a while I'll <laughs> I'll straighten it up and send it send it some scotch, <laughs> some black label. <laughs> I can afford black label. Well, I'll tell you. My wife, Carrie, has really learned to like those uh, Manhattans now. Do you remember all the trouble you and uh, uh, Mike Scott were having? Yeah. Yeah. Out in the hell, I got screw up making a little simple <laughs> Manhattan. And what I found out was I was putting in about five times too much bitters. And ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But once I learned to put a little sip of bitters in there, my, my Manhattan got better. But now Carrie likes it. Well, I think I told the story on the radio a while back how I was introduced to Manhattans. And I used to have a school, John Cornyn and I ran, called Georgia Flyers School of Aviation. And we were one of the first, I think we were the first, uh, Phelps out in California copied us. But we were the first accelerated ground school teaching, starting off the ATR. It was called the ATR back in those days instead of the ATP. Mm-hmm. And we would go around the country 
uh, as far as Brownsville, Texas, to Portland, Maine, and New York, and Boston, and Chicago, and we we'd hit all these towns and have seminars in the hotel, uh, getting these guys ready for the uh, ATR to check out his captain, and a lot of them were Eastern people. And uh, Bob Wilbur was one of my students. I keep reminding him. I taught him for his ATR. You remember Bob Wilbur? He was on that. Bob Wilbur? Uh, sure, yeah. Yeah, Bob Wilbur. I, I taught him he, for his ATR. I AT thought he was way, well, he got on at Easton way before you and I did. Oh, yeah, he got on. Yeah, but he was flying co-pilot, and, and I was flying co-pilot, and John was flying co-pilot, my partner. But we were teaching the oh, ATR. This is we hadn't AT, checked out his ATR. Camera. Oh, okay. Yeah, ATR. Yeah, yeah I see what you're and saying. And so he now. came yeah, to us okay. one day. Yeah, he came to me one day, and he said, uh, when we were having it in Atlanta, he flew down from Boston to Atlanta, and he said, I got to get my ATR. I got, I got awarded a captain uh, on the DC. Mm -hmm. uh, I forgot what he was checking out on. But uh, he said, I don't have my ATR out of the way. I said, My God, you got to get your written, and you got to, you know, check out. And so uh, he said, can you guarantee? I said, yeah. I said, we get most of our guys do 99. They miss one intentionally, one question mm -hmm. intentionally, so mm -hmm. they don't get 100. And so yeah. shut up and listen. And uh, We remember mm -hmm. the old Ac Acme books that they used? <laughs> yeah, well, we had the three covers, tests, huh? the FAA. The FAA was giving three tests, and John and I had them nailed. I mean nailed. But at any rate, when mm -hmm. we would teach, uh, whoever was teaching, we'd teach a half day, and the other guy would teach the other half of the day, and then we would reverse it the next day because it was a two-day school. And uh, so whoever was not teaching in the afternoon would always bring a Dixie cup, and that Dixie cup had a Manhattan in it and it had a cherry. Mm -hmm. Well, you can imagine around 4 or 5 o'clock how we were talking because <laughs> <laughs> that Dix Dixie cup, uh, started to uh, change the, the way we deliver our ATR subject. <laughs> and I, we stuck on that until Dr. Tucker, the flight surgeon in Atlanta that used to give me my FAA physicals, told me one day, he said, Neil, he said, you know, you have diabetes. And I had been drinking all weekend Manhattans, and I took my FAA physical on Monday morning. And I mm -hmm. was loaded with sugar. I mean, loaded with mm -hmm. it. So he grounded me for one month until I, I mm -hmm. reacted to the pills that he gave me. But Manhattans mm -hmm. and I, I, I since went off of those and went on beef eater gin. But uh, mm -hmm. that's my Manhattan story. <laughs> and you're sticking well, you to know it. You're talking about, <laughs> yeah. talking about the uh, ATR written meal. When I yeah. came to Atlanta, you know, sitting on reserve, Second officer, first officer, second officer qualified. Didn't have nothing to do. So I figured I'd just go ahead and get my ATR out of the way. So yeah. I studied and studied and studied in about uh, two months, and I went over, and damn if I didn't pass it first try. Amazing. <laughs> and so I came back. I said, hey, I got my ATR now. You know, I'm ready to go, ready to go. Of course, I was only about 900 numbers away from flying captain, but I yeah. had my ATR. Written. And about a week later, I turned it in to the chief pilot, and they made a record of it and put it and took a picture of it. And they called me up and says, uh, you're going to Miami tomorrow. I said, what am I going to Miami for? And he said, you're going down for ATR uh, school. And I said, my God, 
I just passed the thing last week. They said, yeah, but all those 900 guys haven't got their written, and so they can't take the ATR. You got your written. So I went down yeah. there, and there was Dick Distel. Do you remember the Distel? Yeah, oh, yeah. Dick, Dick Distel yeah. and I were, yeah, we were uh, a Partner. team going through the uh, Aero Commander. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we were down there for about five days, and then all of a sudden we were type-rated in the, in the Aero Commander. Of course, did, I uh, had to wait another 10 years to fly captain. Did uh, Ambrose Shabbat teach you on the ATL on I, the Commander? Yeah, he, most, he, sure, he surely did. Yeah, and then uh, Bob, uh, what was his name? Bob uh, was my check airman, yeah. and uh, we went out to, for the check ride, and we were walking out in the dark, and I'm going to fly first, and Dick's going to sit in the back. Bob, whoa, what the hell is his name? I can't think of it. But anyhow, we walked out there, and we were looking at the airplane in the dark, and he said, where's the battery on this thing? And I happened to know there was a door back there by the tail. <laughs> because I opened it up, looked, and there wasn't there was a battery. And I said, "It's back there by the tail." He said, "You just passed your written. You just passed your oil." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very relaxed, and we went out yeah. and we flew, and you know it was a fun thing. We uh, with Ambrose, we'd fly an hour, and then we'd go to Tamiami or someplace, and we'd land and eat lunch. And then we'd yeah. get up, and the other guy'd fly an hour, hour and a half, and then we'd come back, and that'd be the day, you know. But, it well, was very, but all these 900 guys ahead of, ahead of us, uh, you know, like Bob Wilder, he didn't get his written out of the way. We well, should have, we should have. Well, Jim, so when when I went down, I had uh, had some uh, Aero Commander time because during the strike, John and I tried to figure out what we could do to stay, uh, continue to fly. Now, we own our own airplanes, and uh, I, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys that came with Eastern came through my Charlie, uh, Charlie, uh, oh, the, the crew schedule, uh, Charlie, I can't think of it. But at any rate, a bunch of those guys came through and mm-hmm. uh, used our mm-hmm. airplane. But uh, <clears throat> during the strike, uh, someone, I don't know, either John or myself, heard that a uh, guy was looking for Aero Commander pilots to fly parts from Atlanta Ford up to go up to Detroit and pick up port, uh, parts for the Ford assembly plant out there mm-hmm. by the airport. And uh, mm-hmm. so we volunteered, and and he asked his name. The name was Block, B-L-O-C-K. I can't think of his first name, but he owned a commander, and um, he he wanted he was going to pay us to do this uh, uh, a freight stuff you know and uh mm-hmm. he said, y'all ever flo- flew a, a aero commander we said yeah and uh he didn't ask us any more questions so he, he said okay go to pat, pat epps epps flying service and he said they got the key and it's right out there on the line mm-hmm. and he said go on and do your three bounces or whatever you need to do with it and he says i'll get you the schedule so you can start flying parts back and forth so we went out mm-hmm. there got the key <laughs> Neither one of us had flown a Aero Commander before in our life, never been in one. <laughs> we got into the cockpit, and I said, well, let's see if we can figure this thing out by just reading the checklist. So we did. We read the checklist, and we found all the all the things that was indicating that we ought to do, you know, turn this on, turn that on, up, it's down, down, it's up, in, it's out, out, it's in type of thing. And, mm-hmm. and we felt pretty comfortable. So we got the nerve up to start the engine, 
So we got one of them started. We got the other one started. And then uh, I told John, I said, look, let's do some taxing before we get in the air and see if we can get familiar <laughs> with this thing. And so we taxed it around. We told the uh, Peachtree Tower we would, wanted to do just some taxi practice, I think we said. And they said, yeah, they just uh, we'll, but don't cross any active runways. So we did. We stayed mm-hmm. out there about an hour taxiing. Just taxing, <laughs> and then we started mm-hmm. it up a couple of times. The engines up a couple of times, and then finally we got the nerve. Who's going to be first? You know, <laughs> who's going to take this sucker off? Mm-hmm. Well, they had a he, block had a little manual in there, and it told all the speeds. It told mm-hmm. you know the rotate speed, the climb speed, and all that stuff, and it told the optimum uh, mixture, uh, you know, and all this shit. And pardon me, I'm on radio, and I keep forgetting that. But at any rate, we did. We got in the air, and we went out to what we thought was a practice area out there where there were no houses, and we turned, made some steep turns and everything. We checked ourselves out on that airplane. Went down to Miami mm-hmm. to do the, uh, the uh, check ride, and, hell, it was the same Aero Commander. Not the same airplane, <laughs> but it was the same model, same engine, mm-hmm. everything. So we felt mm-hmm. pretty comfortable mm-hmm. about it uh, uh John and I both got our ATRs the same way with uh, with uh, Ambrose Shabbat. Mm-hmm. You know, his father was vice president of Eastern Shabbat. Yeah, was. he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyhow, good stories, yeah. guys. Good stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you remember. think? Do you think I ought to do John. some more? Do you think I ought to do some more Jerry Cloward? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I wish I could find that videotape, not a video, audio tape with all of his stories on there. It's uh, on the Internet. They're classic. You don't have uh, to yeah, look far. Just go on the Internet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to put the airplane on the ground, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be out of here. I hope you guys have a good week. Same to you. Same to you. Stay, stay safe. All right.